WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. An anti-ESG bill's hefty price tag. Property tax relief gets complicated, plus a poll on Indiana schools and more. From the television studios at WFYI, it's Indiana Week in Review for the week ending February 10th, 2023. Indiana Week in Review is made possible by the supporters of Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations. This week, those opposed to a House Republican priority bill suspected it would mean less pension money for state employees. But a new estimate by the Indiana Public Retirement System shows it would be a significant loss in returns, about $6.7 billion, that's billion with a B, over the next decade. The bill aims to cut ties with banks that have certain ESGs, or environmental, social, and governance policies. These are policies that consider the environmental or social impacts of their investments. Those in favor of the bill say these banks are discriminating against Indiana businesses like coal companies and firearm makers. A recent study commissioned for the climate advocacy group The Sunrise Project shows these laws reduce competition for state bond issues. That drives up interest and can cost taxpayers millions. House Speaker Todd Houston says his team has met with INPERS to address the bill's hefty price tag. We'll, we'll find a light, right landing spot. You're going to see that bill next week. and. Uh... Uh, as we continue conversations, we're going to get that bill across the finish line. The bill is expected to come up in the House Ways and Means Committee next week. Is this an idea worth pushing forward? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney. Republican Mike O'Brien. John Schwannis, host of Indiana Lawmakers. And Nikki Kelly, editor-in-chief of the Indiana Capitol Chronicle. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House Bureau Chief Brandon Smith. And Delaney, is there a way to make this bill work? No, absolutely not. It's a terrible idea. I assume it came out of one of those ALEC conferences that the right-wing Republicans go to and get their little marching orders about what they're supposed to do. But what about the traditional Republican attitude of let the market handle this? I mean, first of all, anybody dealing with the pensions have been the obsession of the Indiana Senate. Okay, and they've been paying it down at a very advanced rate, and this is going to put them backwards, number one. Number two, they have a fiduciary duty to those pensioners to maximize the return, and this is flying in the face of that. Who's going to handle the lawsuits that come out of this? And who's going to come up with the list of who's not acceptable? Are we going to let Todd Rokita, who's already shown that he uses his office to advance his own ideological agenda at the expense of the law, Going to have him do that? I believe it's Treasurer Daniel Yeah, Elliott, but he gets to enforce it. He gets, it. To, he gets yeah, to enforce it yeah. along with Todd Rakita or the Attorney General's office. Mike, we heard some Indiana businesses come to the House committee hearing and say, hey, you know, as, as it pointed out in the piece, gun manufacturers, or excuse me, gun sellers, uh, coal companies who were saying, we're having trouble getting insurance or getting investment because you know, companies don't want to invest in our companies anymore. <laughs> is that a problem that needs solving from the state level? It is, it, that is a real problem. This, I mean, this isn't a, this isn't a you know, so, solution in search of a problem. These are, there are tangible examples of this in, in, in Indiana, and those are a couple that, that you just mentioned. But it's really hard. I mean, it, think about 
you know, what it, Eli Lilly and, and Cummins and these companies that invest heavily in communities, you know, they, they take foundation dollars, which are for Eli Lilly of stock, right? Yeah. And they invest in programs they, they deem benefiting the community in the way that they that fits their philosophy as a company, which by all <laughs> readings is very liberal. Um, and so it gets it, it it starts getting tricky. And I know that these these companies that have come in and um, there are companies, banks are worried about kind of the slippery slope too. And I get that if the state wants to just very narrowly focus on, or the legislature wants to narrowly very narrowly focus on like they do in the Senate bill, which is far less controversial um, and less impactful, I would assume, financially, because that's yes. the largest fiscal I've ever seen on a bill in my entire 25 <laughs> years in the state house. It used to be bigger uh, than the budget. They, back they, in the you day. may, you may yeah. want to look at the Senate bill as, as guidance yeah. uh, for when, when they get ready to send this House bill over. And, and raise something that I asked Speaker Houston yesterday, which is I don't think businesses are in the business of losing money. I don't know many businesses who are. So if they're doing these things, it's because... They at That's least the think they're the not going to lose a bunch yeah. of money. So isn't that just the free market, and isn't the Republican sure. thing to do to let them let it play out on sure. its own? If it's going to hurt the companies that it's aren't investing, them. then it's going to hurt sure. them. A lot but of why companies, state- Fortune 500 and others, have noticed that being sustainable and being a good corporate citizen is good for business, not only in the attraction of investment, but in terms of just employees, the relationship too. with employees, the ability to recruit and retain workers, and, and a customer-company relationship as well. Mike makes a good point. The Dow uh, Jones company, or a subsidiary of that company, every year, for how many years, comes out with, among the 6,000 publicly traded companies with a certain stock value, uh, you know, the top 100. Well, guess what? Cummins is 20-something, Lilly's 60-something. So these are companies that most of the, you know, traditionally we've said, good job, thank you for being good corporate citizens. Never mind that they are also two of the biggest private employers yeah. in our state. Anthem too. Right? Uh, Anthem, Anthem too. Anthem too. Yeah. And if you look at the companies on that list, they tend to be the companies that would attract investment anyway. Apple, Microsoft. I mean, they are companies that are doing something to attract money. You know, clearly it's not just about the highest return here because if you had hypothetically some kind of fund that invested only in ammunition and firearms, tobacco and Drugs, oh, drugs oh, used oh. In, in, in executions. Uh, if I could be, you'd have people that wouldn't say, that's fine, you know, let, let it be. But because this is somehow... And last point, though, it's not just hypothetical. Now, the budget analysts are a lot smarter about these things than I am, but you can look at what's already happened. In History is a great guy. Yeah. Texas, where $500 million... In the first year. In the first year hit, according to a study by University of Pennsylvania, which is Donald Trump's alma mater, so they must know... What they're talking, talking about. about. Uh, but I want to ask you about this, too, which because it was raised, you know, we had coal companies who said we're having trouble. But what people also pointed out was investing in these companies, they've been fluctuating pretty wildly because the world is what it is. People are using less and less coal. I mean, if you look at every energy company in this country, their projections on how much coal they're using is going to go down significantly. Yeah, so I mean, is investing in these companies the smart financial decision? Yeah, and that's now? some of what some of the Bankers Association is saying is, you know, some of these decisions are not on one thing. Like some aren't, you know, we're not investing in that because it's a volatile industry, right. not because it's one we disagree with politically. Um, and, and obviously this bill goes so much farther. It also impacts the investment managers that you can use. So we're going to have fewer investment managers to manage the state's portfolio, less competition for that. And the Senate 
provision for people who don't understand is more just sort of a, a statement of, you know, we want you to only focus on returns, but it doesn't require divestment. It doesn't protect specific industries. So it's just a lot less stringent. And I'll say, you know, I asked again, Speaker Houston yesterday, um, are you, you know, when he said we're going to make changes to the bill to get it through, and I said, are you aiming for pretty much what the Senate has got because that thing's moving along just fine? And he said, no. He said they think they want to go farther in the House. I don't know how you're going to do that without costing the state a lot of money. I guess we might find out. Not fiscally responsible. <laughs> property, property tax relief legislation got a lot more complicated this week as a House committee tried to soften the blow such relief would have on local government and school budgets. The original proposal was simple. Create an additional homestead tax credit and reduce the cap on how much homeowners have to pay on their property taxes for a few years. The latest proposal is anything but simple. That additional homestead tax credit is gone. The reduction in the property tax cap is cut in half. The bill increases homeowners' and renters' deductions on Hoosiers' income taxes by $1,000 each. Local governments have a new option to create their own property tax relief. Here's bill author Republican Representative Jeff Thompson. This thing has lots of moving parts. Um, I consider none of them real, real drastic. Some, some may. It's not yet clear how much the average homeowner would save under the new proposal, and it's also not yet clear how much the plan would cost local governments and schools. The bill next heads to the House floor for further work. Mike O'Brien, is this just what happened this week? Is this a great example of why figuring out property tax relief is so hard? <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Um, it's particularly hard because what they're trying to do is they're trying to soften the blow, a, a blow that already happened. You know, so politic, the political... The, the ability to deliver politically on this is really limited. And, think, and Jeff Thompson's right. There's a lot of moving parts. You, you touch one tax dollar here, and it affects all these people um, to the benefit of the homeowner, right? Fair enough. But think how you're going through. So you're paying last year's assessment this spring and fall. Your mortgage company is going to recalculate your escrow based on the change in market value. Then a year from now, we're going to have some credit that is going to that is going to drop that 1% um, tax rate on your, assess, on your assessed value to 0.9, then 0.5, and, or, or 0.5, or yeah, 0.95, and then new one, yeah, and then yeah, 9.75. You're not, you're not going to feel that, really. Right. Because your bill's going to be moving anyway. I mean, the he, market's going to continue to impact your value probably downward. And, 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 it's, and, and then you got to, and, now, and right. now they're trying to solve the problem they created by trying to solve the other problem, which yeah. is what do we do to local government and schools? Well, and also, like Jeff Thompson talked about, the original fiscal impact of this bill to local governments was significant. Um, I have no idea what the fiscal impact of it is now, neither does he uh, entirely, because we haven't gotten the note on that. But he, he all often talked about, uh, in the original committee hearing, Jeff Thompson talked about it's not a decrease to local governments and schools. It's a decrease in the increase. They're going to get a lot of money this year because property tax values have gone up so much and so will property taxes. I mean, you have to net it out is what he's right. saying. Right. But isn't, I mean, but it seems to me the same is going to be true for... It's hard to compare for, all of that. Exa but it's also yeah. going to be true for what you're trying to do for homeowners. Like next year, if, if these changes take effect, my property taxes still might go up. They just might not go up as much as they otherwise would have. How the heck am I going to notice that? Well, it's like getting politically it, blamed for the gas tax. You're not feeling the gas tax, right? Right? You're not the, noticing because the, the bills, because no. the numbers. But they doing do this. feel property taxes. I mean, 
Bart Peterson can testify to that. Sure. The problem with this is, you know, the ten years ago the average house value was one hundred and thirty-four thousand. Now it's two hundred and eleven thousand. That's a pretty big jump. And the other problem is, well, twofold. First, we have a part-time legislature. So when this started coming out last May, it was too late for the legislative session to do anything about it. And the second big problem is we're over-governmented. We have a thousand townships with charter schools. We have about 400 school corporations. On top of that, we have 100 and, what, 115 cities and 92 counties. counties. Yeah. New York, which is, what, three times the size, has 42. And the problem is each Time really, a channel of Mitch Daniels here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we ought to dust off Kernan, the current shepherd. Shepherd's yeah. coming the, back. The bottom line is, every time you you tweak it, someplace it has this ripple effect that is impossible to calculate so, because we have too darn many governments. Cherish Pryor said something in the committee yesterday, which I liked, which was she said the place that we need to get to is to where everybody, and it's the three groups of people: it's it's local government, schools, and and and. Homeowners, property, property taxpayers. Everybody needs to hurt a little bit, because if one group is really happy, then something bad, bad has happened for the other two. Is that where lawmakers need to? Is that the sweet spot? I mean, I guess, but we also have to remember to we're yeah. talking all about residential homeowners. Remember, there are other property taxpayers, yeah. and when you mess with the pie, yeah. it impacts it and shifts, shifts to, to others. Yeah. So whether businesses will end up paying more. Also, the uh, the in, the de decrease in the increase. I just want to point out that those local governments, like the reason they're getting an increase, is because their costs have gone up. Their, you know, their utilities, right. their employee pay. Their, so it might not Inflation be. Inflation that hurts us correct. It hurts them It's too. hitting them as well. That's Plus. why they're getting yeah. more. And you've got to remember, too, that the, the increase in values of homes is not uniform. Right. And there are places in this state where the values have gone down substantially. <laughs> Nikki just pointed out, we're only talking about homeowners, not talking about businesses. We're not talking, importantly, in some parts of the state about the ag community. Mm -hmm. uh, Representative J.D. Prescott, who represents a particularly rural uh, community, nearly voted against that property tax relief bill yesterday. He was basically like, I'll vote yes to move it along because, you know, I'm a Republican and I'm supporting the chairman, but I'm real worried about the folks in my community taking the brunt yeah. of anything you do to help homeowners. Is that going to complicate this even further and make it hard to find something that everybody's going to be able to vote for, oh, or at least enough to, to get a majority in both chambers. It's already a Rubik's Cube. You know, there's just, you can't do it without this way, this direction's multi-dimensional challenges. You're exactly right. You press the balloon here and it pops out somewhere else. I mean, we're under the illusion, I guess, that somehow government services are the only, and the providers of government <laughs> services are somehow the only sector of, of the U.S. economy or the global economy that does, where it doesn't see significant increases in the op cost of doing business. You know, so there's a notion we can cut, give back taxes, we can cut taxes, we can do this. Well, but at the same time, as a state, we're pushing quality of life. We want to have uh, good schools, we want to have good roads, we want to have great parks, we want to have trails connecting those parks. Co government services cost money. Uh, and, and that's not a that doesn't make it feel any better when you open your tax bill or, or when you, you see what's come out of your account. And nor does it help if I were to point out uh, that Indiana pays, Hoosiers pay so little, generally speaking, in terms of property taxes compared to lots so of other states. states. Yeah. Again, doesn't make you feel any better, 
But if maybe if you have a cousin in New York, New Jersey, or call them up, or Massachusetts, call them up and hear them bellyache, and maybe you'll feel better. Uh, the shot in front of I mean, will give and, you a little and, bit. But of really, that. the bottom line of all of this is all of this discussion, all of the hard work that's going to go in this, and the and the heartache that's going to go into this for lawmakers, and none of it will help the bills that people are about to get in the mail. That's exactly nope. right. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week, we pose an unscientific online poll question, and this week's question is. Should Indiana lawmakers pass property tax relief that helps homeowners but hurts local government and school revenues? A yes or B no. Last week we asked you whether Jim Banks will be Indiana's next U.S. Senator. Just 32% of you say yes, 68% say no. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash iwir and look for the poll. That was Indiana's next U.S. Senator, not just the primary. But a new, a new state uh, in the primary, it seems to be 100, 100, 100, 100 yeah. A new, a new statewide poll shows most parents approve of their child's school. More than 3,000 parents responded to the survey conducted by the Indiana Department of Education and Gallup last year. From WFYI's education desk, Lee Gaines reports the findings were presented at a recent State Board of Education meeting. 88% of surveyed parents said they're satisfied with their child's school. Only 2% of parents said that they both know and disapprove of the subjects taught in their child's school. Board member Scott Bess emphasized the finding. That 2% is very loud, very organized, and they get a lot of airplay. Conservative activists and politicians have repeatedly claimed schools are indoctrinating kids. Bess said those views do not appear to be widely shared. Parents who are satisfied, they're not yelling and pounding on tables and, and showing up. And I think this, this really illustrates that point well. <laughs> the survey data also shows that parents are concerned about school safety and the affordability of post-high school education. Nikki, do these poll numbers square with what we see happening at the state house? Yeah, I don't think so, but I, but I also think that's to be expected. I mean, when things happen at the state house, like anything in life, like I have a million friends who have kids, almost all of them are extremely pleased with their educational systems. They're not taking work off to yeah. go testify about how great things are, you know? I mean, that's just the way it works. And so I'm not, you know, it doesn't match what we're seeing at the state house, but I also wouldn't expect it to. Yeah. But that's also a difference between the people who show up to testify and the policies that lawmakers are actively pushing, apparently for what seems like a relatively small number of people. So at, at any point, does this come back to bite them if well, they make a bunch of changes that nobody wants? It does fly in the face of, of the argument that's put forth by, for instance, advocates of partisan school board elections. The notion is that people are, are, don't like what's being taught in their schools. They don't like the way that boards are being run. They, there's no input. No one's listening. They don't like schools. They're headed down the wrong path to, you know, uh, you know. Perdition. Uh, yeah, that's probably, I was, yeah, that's probably a good word to say. And, but when you say that, uh, and try to make the argument that there needs to be this kind of wholesale change because what's work, what we have now isn't working. And then you hear 88%. Show me a politician that has an approval rating of 88% doesn't, that doesn't exist. Um, and so I think that, and the number, the, if you, you touched on this briefly, but if you look at the number of individuals who talked about the curriculum, basically, what's being taught, and there's dissatisfaction with that. I, what I, <laughs> caused me to raise my eyebrows, that was, I think, 2% who were dissatisfied. But, uh, 
I think there was a, up to like 7% that were dissatisfied but didn't know yes. what the curriculum. Yeah, so there's was, that 5% yeah. who essentially said, I really don't like what's being taught, but I have no clue what's being taught. That's an alarm. That, that group needs some special help because, uh, I mean, they're just angry, angry people, it seems. But I also, I'm glad you brought this up because we addressed this topic on this week's I was Indiana Lawmakers, where we, we discussed this very issue in terms of partisan school boards, which airs on many of these same public broadcasting stations. We, we saw, we talked, uh, I think it was last year, about uh, Republican lawmakers who send out these constituent surveys. This is not that, this is an actual. Official, like it's scientific poll, poll. Yeah. but they sent out their constituent surveys, and we found on the gun issue, overwhelmingly their constituents said, don't do what you're doing, and they didn't care. Should we add anything having to do with schools to that list of things? They don't care what the constituents think? <laughs> and abortion. And, and abortion, well, too. Yeah. Yeah. That was already okay. obviously you, you, you on the list. Compa- you can't compare those two things. One is a deeply held, like, foundational conservative but, um, belief, but, but, right? But is education <laughs> becoming that, this, that at the state house? This is... is this set of issues, these school board elections or CRT and these other these new things, it, it is a, we, we know it's a small out group, but small out groups are what influence legislation and influence politicians. The people that are quietly satisfied and but maybe still go vote, but they're not really engaged, but they do go vote. There's not a lot of risk there. There's a heck of a lot of risk if you're a politician in this 20% of the base. Yeah. You know, and it, that's just it, how, it that's, all, that's how it is, works everywhere. It's that's not just, that's just politics. It's not 20% of the base. It's 20, if it's 20 at all, it's 20% of the Republican that's base. That's what I mean. Yeah, okay. But what they're doing, they don't care what voters want. And they, they don't support public education. All those increases in both vouchers and the charter schools, despite the fact that there's absolutely no evidence that students do better in either of those situations. But they pump the money in there, and they keep talking about choice. They're great on choice, except if it's your body. They, then you're not supposed to have any choice. There or was investments. A moment, there was or a investments. There was a moment in the committee hearing this week that I enjoyed, which was on the partisan school board's bill, where somebody got up and talked about how he has, I think it was like seven or nine kids, and none of them go to public schools. But he's very upset about the public school board. Indiana Republican <laughs> Congresswoman Victoria Sparts has announced that she will not run for re-election or any office in 2024. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Ben Thorpe reports Sparts was first elected to Congress in 2020 and has only served in elected office at any level since 2017. Sparts said that she has decided that she will step back from politics after seven years of holding an elected office. Being a working mom is tough, and I need to spend more time with my two high school girls back home, Sparts wrote. Sparts was seen as a potential candidate for the U.S. Senate seat that will be vacated by Republican Senator Mike Braun's run for governor. John Schwannis, how surprising is this? Very surprising. I thought this is somebody, we've talked about her as a potential U.S. Senate candidate, uh, that she seemed to have her eye on the prize moving up. So very surprising. So I blew that prediction, if anybody had asked. But I'm going to make another prediction. I'll make one that I'll stick with and I think will become true. We talk about open seats, how rare they are. Now, it hasn't happened in the U.S. Senate seat, so we'll put that one aside for a minute. But this seat, because it's so such a certain Republican seat. Remember when Sparks won this seat after Susan Brooks vacated it, she did it by four or five percentage points. But since then, the maps have been redrawn and she won by 20 plus. It is solid Republican. So you will see 12, 13, 14, 15, maybe 20. I don't know how many Republicans line up to try to get this seat. And it, it, 
we're going to see that in a couple of districts because with Jim Banks running for the U.S. Senate, that that his congressional seat, which is even more solidly yep. Republican. Right. I mean, the most interesting races in the May 2024 primary could be those two congressional seats, could they not? Absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll add to you, I was shocked. I mean, literally a couple of weeks before, she was talking about running for U.S. Senate. And then yeah. we mm-hmm. went from not only that to I don't want to be here at all. <laughs> Um, that came a couple days after she was really against Speaker McCarthy on some committee issues. So I don't know if that played into it, but definitely shocking. Yeah. How surprised are you with this move? It's ridiculous, really. I mean, she had to have made up her mind before she ran. I mean, the excuse she gave is their children are of high school age. Did that suddenly happen? I mean, she forget their birthdays or what, what happened in between? <laughs> I mean, it's... Frankly, she's not I, I done do, anything since she's been there, so I do it really want to ask is a big yawn. Why say this now of all times? Well, I mean, it, it, she's kind of hosed either way, right? So if she waits, it's like, well, you, you, you close the door to people yeah. that were making other decisions. You could wait a people, year. People yeah. at that caliber, so go. I hey, guess, but if you well, were asking say. me about the Senate seat, I guess she answered that question and answered the other one, too. <laughs> wow. Right. Finally, Sunday is the NFL's big game, Super Bowl 57, with the Kansas City Chiefs facing off against the Philadelphia Eagles. Mike O'Brien, who have you got? I'm an NFC guy, so I'm going to stick with the Eagles, I think. How about you, Andy? I frankly don't care, but I, I like Philadelphia, do. so I'll go with <laughs> Philadelphia. Philadelphia, I like the city. Nikki, this is a I tough one for you. I refuse to participate in this conversation now. <laughs> Nikki, for Honestly, those of you who aren't aware, is, uh, a, is a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan. So. The fact is, I really do enjoy Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, even though I'm still hurting massively from that AFC Championship loss. This is the weekend <laughs> of the big game, which is why I'm going with Indiana over Michigan. Amen. Uh-huh, Amen. Was, uh, and, and speaking of the uh, Hoosiers, IU's uh, huge uh, record-setting victory over Iowa yeah. yesterday. The, the women set an attendance record. Um, that was a heck of a game. They that's are really the good. Yeah, that's, I'm looking forward to the tournament for that. Um, I have, I'm torn on this one. My, my little brother is a huge Eagles fan and has been for a long time. But I went to college in, in Missouri, and I have a lot of friends who are from Kansas City. I think it's going to be one of those where I'm going to watch the game and end up rooting for somebody, and I'll just find you out. You're going to root for whoever time. wins yeah. is what you're going to do. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I, hope both teams I, mean, have fun. I will tell my little brother that I'm rooting for the Eagles. I don't know whether that will actually play out in real time, but uh, I just hope it's a good game. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly of the Indiana Capital Chronicle. You can find Indiana Week in Review's podcast and episodes at WFYI.org slash IWIR or on the PBS video app. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Opinions expressed are solely those of the panelists. Indiana Week in Review is a WFYI production in association with Indiana's public broadcasting stations.